Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined in the studio by Pastor Ross Anderson. Ross, today we're wrapping up our five-week series on spiritual warfare. And today we're going to get really practical and talk about the armor of God. But before we get into that, what have, where have we been in this series? What framework have we been using uh, to talk about spiritual warfare? And is it really something that every Christian needed to listen to and pay attention to? Yeah, I think it's been a great series so far and really revealing what the Bible says about this warfare. We started in Ephesians chapter 2 to realize that there's really three enemies that we're battling against. There's the, the world system around us, there's the flesh, which is our sinful nature within us, and then last week we talked about the devil and demons and how that how he's at work in our lives. And so now that we, we really understand this, the nature of this warfare, we've tried to keep it practical, but we really want to make it practical for sure today. There's these otherworldly elements of it, but there's also just day-to-day... Um, ordin- almost ordinary things that the Christian does to win this battle day in and day out, and that there's a lot of that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and if you're out there listening to this, if you've been listening throughout these last five weeks, you've probably noticed how much we are in the book of Ephesians. Like you said, Ross, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 1, we've been just all over the book of Ephesians. It's almost like Paul, the author, had spiritual warfare on his mind because he ends he ends the book, he ends his entire, it's not, it wasn't a book, he didn't write it like a book, it was yeah. a letter yeah. to the church in Ephesus. He, he ends the letter by talking about this spiritual battle that we fight. Mm-hmm. And so I want to read that just to sort of set up today's topic. It comes from Ephesians 6. We're going to start with verses 11 through 13. He says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil, right? We talked about the devil last week. Mm -hmm. He says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, against authorities of the unseen world, so the spirit world, against mighty powers in this dark world, probably Mm -hmm. the world system, right? And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So he says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, and spoiler alert, he's going to list that armor out for us. He says, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, and then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So you can see there's this mm-hmm. visual, I could, it, probably in Paul's mind's eye, he's looking at, maybe he was even writing this, looking at a soldier or a contingent of soldiers you know, outside his window, and he's, he's got this on his mind, and he's saying that's, that's really what a Christian should be like. Yeah, it's a great picture. Standing firm, all the enemies have been defeated, been fighting and and not running away. You know, and so he says you got this great confidence in this spiritual battle. He says you can win, um, you can stand firm at the end. It's got last man standing, you know. But he says, but you got to do a couple things here. You got to understand a couple things if you want to have that confidence and have that victory. Okay, so then in the next three verses, he lists out these six elements of that armor of God. And I'm going to read it real quick, and then we're going to take it one by one. We're going to break it down. We're going to explain it. We're going to explain probably what Paul was thinking. We're going to explain some practical applications for each of these uh, pieces of armor. And, And again, I want to encourage people who are listening right now, you're probably experiencing spiritual warfare now. So I want you to think about this list in the context of what you're going through in your life right now. So, mm-hmm. Ross, like you said, people might be battling 
the world, the world system, the ideas, the ideology of the world coming at them, Mm -hmm. trying to draw them away from God, trying to pull them into the world's current, right? right? The current of the world, this flow like a river, like a rushing river pulling you away from God. Maybe there are some of you listeners out there right now who are struggling with that, or your kids are struggling with that. The, sure. the pull of the world is mm-hmm. strong. Yeah. Maybe there are others of you who are, are struggling with the flesh, the battle of the flesh. You've got the, the sinful nature, maybe pornography or some other addiction, or, or um, again, there's a whole list of things. Maybe greed, maybe yeah. division and yeah. dissension in your church. Right. Maybe your church is experiencing right now, it's experiencing spiritual warfare, and I would say with the flesh. That would be the flesh. Yeah. There are Christians in your church who are following the flesh, they've got a spirit of division and dissension in your church, and you're battling that. Mm -hmm, Right. Or maybe some of you just feel like you're actually experiencing warfare with the devil himself. We talked about this last week, and you've experienced maybe some warfare, and you've dealt with maybe the occult a little bit. We talked Mm -hmm. a little bit about demons, and well, not a little. We talked a lot last week. (laughs) Ten things about demons and about about Satan and their origin story, and how they operate, and what they're all about. And maybe some of you feel like your warfare has been elevated to that, that you're actually battling some demonic oppression or influence in your life or in your family. So with all that in mind, I think it's important to have have that in mind, because I'm sure there are listeners out there who know exactly what we're talking about. I know it. Yeah, yeah, I feel that right now, Ross. Yeah, and so I want you to I want you to try to get to that place where Paul's trying to bring you to envision putting on the armor of God. Right. What would this principle mean? As we look at six things, what would that principle mean in my battle today? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it comes from Ephesians six, verses fourteen through seventeen, and I'm going to read it, and then let's break it down, Ross. Paul writes: Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. That's number one. Number two, the body armor, or some translations say the breastplate of God's righteousness. That's number two. Number three, for shoes, Paul writes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. Number four, he says, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Number five, he says, put on salvation as your helmet. And number six, he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those are the six items we're going to talk about. Ross, let's start with the belt. Here's the the big idea around the belt. Mm -hmm. Truth, the belt of truth, truth is the centerpiece of a believer's spiritual armor. So Ross, explain to us what the purpose of the belt was for a Roman soldier. Yeah, it's interesting that he starts here because this is like, this might be the last thing that that the soldier puts on because it pulls everything together. It kind of secures the body armor. You know, all these pieces are interactive, and they connect to each, to each other. But um, so, so the belt is, you know, it pulls that on to kind of bind the whole armor together into one functioning unit to, pr- to protect him in this battle. And so I think in spiritual warfare, he's saying that truth has that role. Truth is the centerpiece that really, that's why it's worth considering first, it, it kind of pulls all the other things together uh, that we're going to talk about uh, in the rest of the episode today. Yeah, I remember in week one, we talked about the, this, this principle that spiritual warfare takes place primarily in the mind. Ross, that was one of, that'll be one of my big takeaways from this series, mm-hmm. is to remember it's not up there in the ether somewhere, it's not in the multiverse somewhere. Spiritual warfare takes place in the mind because Satan wants to get you to follow 
just a just a slight uh, twist on mm-hmm. what's true, like yeah. like what he did in the garden, yeah. right, with Adam and Eve. He yeah. he didn't just just fully uh, take Adam and Eve away. He just said, "Did God did God really say this?" He sort of planted right. a seed in their mind. He sort of twisted. He 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 made it sound like God said one thing. He was really sort of gaslighting. Right. Adam and Eve, right. and, and that's how it all started. Right, it wasn't an abject, an outright denial. It was a twist of what God mm-hmm. had said, because we learned last week that when we talked about five things about Satan, that you know, lying is his native language. Mm-hmm. It was what comes naturally to it. So we expect that to be his strategy, and so it totally makes sense that truth is how we prepare for that battle. We've got to understand the truth. We've got to understand biblical truth, and so that we can test every idea that comes. You know, uh, that's what, what holds it all together for us. Uh, if we've got that firmly in our minds, our hearts, we're committed to it, we understand it, but more than that, we're living it out and we're committed to, to being people of God's truth in our lives. Yeah, Paul said in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, the world system. He says, but let God transform you into a new person, and here's how, by changing the way you think. So it's like Paul totally understood this principle of spiritual warfare is that the battle is in the mind, and he says you need to let God transform you by changing the way you think. It's interesting. It's a little bit of a passive command. He's, he's not saying change yourself. Right. He's saying let God change you, and the way he'll do it is by changing the way you think. You need, and the only way to really allow that to happen is by getting God's word into you on a regular basis, right? We have, this is this advantage that we have. Paul didn't have this in his day. The early Christians didn't. But we have the Bible right here on our right. phones. Right. And, and we can read God's Word, know what God has to say to us. So I think we have an advantage over ancient Christians even in this area. Yeah, totally. With so much access, ancient Christians did not have their own personal copy of the Bible. And when this was written, they had the Old Testament Scriptures, but the New Testament Scriptures were still being produced. And so we have a great advantage but here, you know, here, nothing, what hasn't changed since then, though, he says, don't copy the customs and behaviors of the world. So going back to, you know, our, our second week in, this, our, 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 rather, our first week, first of the three um, battlefields, mm-hmm. there's this world system, and it's always trying to affect how we think. It's always affecting our, uh, so he says, compared to that, then we have to change how we think. How do we do that? through God's Word and through His thoughts. Well, yeah, because even though we have an advantage over ancient Christians in that we have access to God's Word every day, we have a disadvantage because I think the world that we live in, the world that we're raising our kids in, and I shudder to think about the world my grandkids will be raised in, that the disadvantage is that Satan has so much more at his disposal right, as well. Sure. So I think there are so many more ideas. I think the the world has an even greater pull now. And the sad thing is, is Christians, for the most part, Christians aren't saying that's okay because I have God's word here, you know. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna read God's word so that I'm not fooled by the world. I think Christians are being fooled by the world. I think yeah. the enemy, I, personally, I think the enemy is winning now, more, probably more than he did 2,000 There's years so ago. There's so much information out there, yeah. and, and Christians are pretty passive about whether they're filtering it or not, I think, according to God's Word. And many many Christians couldn't even tell you 
what God's Word says about a certain issue, a certain topic, whether it's social issue, whether it's personal behavior issue. So we need to learn how to read the Bible and study the Bible. Well, yeah, and we need to learn, we need to not just do it for ourselves, but if any parents out there listening, man, it is so important to get your kids to love the Bible. That, that means you need to model it for them. You need to encourage them to read the You need to read it with them. Um, and we've got all kinds of resources at PursueGod.org to help you to do that. There's a whole kids section, Ross, that a lot of parents maybe aren't even aware of. Go, go to the categories in the menu and pull down to kids, just for kids, and they're all kind for three years worth of weekly devotionals for parents to go through with their grade school kids. We've got student section there as well. We've got a men's section and women's section. Get into the Word of God. Learn to read the Word of God and teach your kids to do it as well. Yeah, and the, the resources we have are very so engaging. You know, I was wor- always worried about kids were going to be bored with the Bible when mm-hmm. they were little because we try to sit down at dinner time and read through the Bible, and it's like right over their head, you know. But um, the resources that they'll find, um, you know, in our library are are so engaging for kids and really meet them where they're at, and it's going to energize your kids about the Word of God. Yeah, one of our values is that we want kids to teach kids. And so you'll notice in all of our kids' videos, they're kids that are talking. And it, what we've noticed, Ross, is it really engages young people there mm-hmm. because they see someone their own age telling a Bible story or, or whatever. And so then each of those topics also has discussion questions as well. So again, parents... Engage with your kids in this because the belt of truth really is the centerpiece of a believer's Mm -hmm. spiritual armor. So that's the first thing. Number two, Paul talks about the body armor or the breastplate and its righteousness. And here's the point. A lifestyle of righteousness gives Satan no targets to exploit. In other words, when we live righteous, God-honoring lives as Christians, we're making it harder on Satan, the enemy, to come at us. Now, Ross, first of all, describe what the body armor would look like, because I think maybe most people don't even have a visual for that. Yeah, I don't know what a breastplate really is, you know? Um, I I saw, I've, I've seen like, you know, gladiator, okay? So that's the best picture I have. But no, it's even more than that. It's the, the soldier... His, his armor would cover all the way from the neck all the way down to, like, his upper thighs. And so, like, his whole body, they thought of everything, right? They thought of how to protect everything. Helmet all the way down to shoes, we'll talk about that later. But, but, he's, but this is huge, um, like, personal body armor is the best way to put it. It's way more, it covers way more than a Kevlar vest. It covers more than what, what, what we kind of think of as a breastplate even in... In, when we see it in the movies. So it was, it was pretty extensive protection for every vulnerable part of the uh, soldier's body. Now, I could imagine a Christian's out here listening to this saying, okay, I'm a new Christian, or maybe not even I'm a new Christian. I'm a Christian who struggles a little bit with the flesh. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the battle with the flesh, and some people might say, man, I just struggle with the flesh. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about is, is this is where the enemy will, will have targets. This is mm-hmm. where he'll go after you as these areas of weakness in your life, maybe areas of weakness in that body armor. Right. And, and so I think we need to back up and make sure every Christian understands first and foremost what, we're ta- what Paul's talking about when he's talking about righteousness and where it comes mm-hmm. from. Yeah. 
that's really good because I mean that this connects back to our conversation throughout the series about footholds and strongholds. So we're talking about a chink in the armor that could create a foothold for for Satan. But when we're talking about righteousness, yeah, we are talking about how we live our lives and our behavior, but that really starts with Christ's righteousness, that as Christians, when you come to faith in Christ, his righteousness is credited to our account. It starts with that. We have this foundation, this this identity that you could say that as new creations in Christ, that we have this identity where Christ's righteousness, our sin goes on him, his righteousness comes on us. Not that we live exactly like Jesus forever, but but that we have this basis or this foundation out of which to develop a righteous lifestyle. Yeah, we talk about it in our systematic theology series like this. We say there's positional holiness or righteousness, there's positional, and then there's practical. And so we're talking first about positional, that that Christ has already transferred his righteousness to us. He sees us as righteous, Mm -hmm. as holy. That's already ours. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 says that God has united you with Christ. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Notice mm-hmm. the tense that Paul uses there yeah. in 1 Corinthians. It's, it's already done. He's already mm-hmm. made us right with God. We're already righteous, even though in this world, practically, we might still struggle with the flesh a little bit. Right, for sure. That's good to know. It's good to know about because building on that, then um, you know we want to live a certain lifestyle that doesn't leave any targets for Satan, uh, where sinful actions and, and habits in our life leave targets for Satan. But what I think is really interesting is is thinking about where did Paul get this idea from? There's a, there's a biblical theme, a larger biblical theme here that's actually pretty inspiring, uh, where he's thinking about some passages in the Old Testament that kind of tee it up for him about how we think about this armor of righteousness. Yeah, it actually comes from Isaiah 59. I encourage people to go back and read it for yourself, because that whole chapter is talking about sort of the state of affairs for the people of Israel and how jacked up they were, and they weren't they weren't godly, and they were really struggling, and they weren't righteous, and they weren't pursuing justice in their nation, and uh, things were falling apart. In, in Israel, and it says in verse 16 and 17 that God was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So look at what he says. Mm-hmm. So he himself stepped in to save his people with his strong arm, and his justice sustained him. And then verse 17 says, he put on righteousness as his body armor. That's interesting. It says God yeah. put on righteousness as his body armor. And I, I'm sure that Paul had remembered this, the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit probably brought this to mind for Paul, and Paul's saying, yeah, that that's the body armor, it's the righteousness, but it's not your own righteousness, right. because your own righteousness is imperfect, it's actually God's righteousness, God mm-hmm. is perfectly righteous and just. That's a great point, because if I was to try to build body armor out of my own righteousness, yeah, it's not going to cover much. Right. Right? Yeah. Pretty holy, yeah. Holy in the wrong sense. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But, okay, but, so that's the positional righteousness, is that we're actually putting on God's armor, God's righteous body armor from Isaiah 59. But then what happens on a practical level is that it becomes true for us practically. This is how it should be in the Christian life. Is And I think this is also what Paul was talking about, is that on a practical level, 
you should learn to live a more holy, sanctified, righteous life. Yes, so day in and day out, I'm I'm evaluating, I'm seeking the Holy Spirit, uh, His input, insight into my life, or His conviction. I'm reading the Word of God so that I can understand what pleases God and how He wants to work. And then when I do sin, when I do blow it, then I'm keeping short accounts with God. I'm coming right back to confession, and and right. I'm not going to stew in it. I'm not going to kind of... Uh, cultivate that. I'm gonna, I want to get right with God right away and, and confess that sin and get the Holy Spirit working in my life again. And so on a day-in and day-out basis, um, I'm mindful of what's happening in my life and what direction it's going and the choices that I make. Okay, so that's the body armor of righteousness. Now the third, the third element to the soldier's armor, probably most people wouldn't think of as armor. In fact, it's, it's the by far the most boring uh if, if anyone's going to forget one of the six it would be the shoes he talks about the shoes of the sandals that the the soldier's footwear on a practical level was boring but yet it was important because it helped the soldier to get from one battlefield to the next and in scripture feet were often connected to sharing a message mm-hmm, you right. think about the messenger Paul talked about it like that in Romans. When I think of the footwear, the shoes of the gospel of peace, I think of Romans 10, 15, where, it's, where Paul writes, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of, of the messengers who bring good news. And so the point with the shoes, Ross, and let's unpack this a little bit. This might be the most insightful of all the pieces of armor is that the battle is pointless. Spiritual warfare is pointless if we're not ready to share the gospel, right? It's not like spiritual warfare is about angels and demons. The spiritual warfare at the end of the day is about God's ultimate mission in the world, which is to help people to know the gospel. That's that's what Satan is most most against, is he doesn't want the kingdom of God to advance on the earth. Absolutely. And so, you know, he, he, his, he wants to thwart everything God's trying to do. The ultimate thing that God's trying to do is to reconcile humanity to himself. And so that it certainly becomes part of the spiritual warfare. And, and you know, if um, I've thought about it like this. If I'm losing the spiritual battle, then I'm really not in a position to sh- be sharing my faith. If I'm losing the spiritual battle, if I'm living in sin, compromise, to the world or whatever, I'm probably not even interested in sharing my faith. Right. And if I was, I'd be completely not credible. You know, I, you know, I'd be the the fool who's who's like sinning with one hand and kind of like inviting people to Jesus on, with the other hand. And that people look at that and say, "What? That that doesn't ma- make any sense." You know. So to be a credible messenger, um, I'm succeeding in the spiritual battle, so that I'm in a place where I can be effective in helping people understand the gospel. Yeah, and, and to take that just a step further, when you share the gospel, even if you're still struggling a little bit in the flesh or whatever, when you share the gospel, it's like it creates this virtuous circle that mm-hmm. now pretty soon, it, it, and this I think is what Paul's getting at, is it, is it blesses you, mm-hmm. it strengthens you. Right. We, the way we say it in our Pursuit series is that we grow by making disciples mm-hmm. If you're waiting to be mature or perfected or to have it all squared away before you share the gospel or make disciples, you're never going to do it. But if you start doing it, you'll find out that you'll grow, that you won't be as vulnerable to the attacks right. of the world on you right. because now you're, you're on the offensive. Right, exactly. And it, 
once you've committed yourself to do that, it it totally changes your mindset and perspective on how you're living your daily life. So I'm not in, I'm not pursuing the sort of fleeting pleasures of the world, and so I'm pursuing God's purpose and God's will in my life. And so, yeah, it does have that effect where it kind of raises me into a new, like on a new pathway that's going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember, the ultimate goal of spiritual warfare isn't actually to fight against the world. It's to take the gospel into the world. And, and I think Christians need to realize that is this is, this is a lot of times, this is an overlooked part of your r- spiritual armor People say, I want to have the Word of God. I want to pray. I want mm-hmm. the church to be around mm-hmm. me. All these things we're going to be talking about. But you don't hear people saying part of, part of the solution is to take the gospel of peace. That's what Paul calls it, the gospel yeah. of peace, which is an interesting yeah. word when In he's talking about warfare. Metaphor, yeah. mm-hmm. But that's what it is. It's the gospel of peace. The, the irony is the, ba- the point of the battle is to bring peace, yeah. and we're talking about peace with God. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Yeah. The fourth element is the shield, and he calls it the shield of faith. And here's the point, that our faith, linked up with the faith of other believers, creates a wall of defense. Russ, paint a picture for listeners about how the shield worked in the, in the Roman regiment. Yeah, the point of the, the shield was to create a, a shield wall. And so the, the shield's actually interlocked from one soldier to the next. They, they stand shoulder to shoulder. Their shields are interconnected, and so it creates this impenetrable, you know, kind of wall of steel, you might say, that um, then, then they could move forward um, and, and just kind of overwhelm the opposition as they move forward. And so one soldier with a shield was exposed on two sides, protected on one side, but exposed on the sides and on the back. The two soldiers side by side, or three soldiers, or four with their shields linked, then the the sides are protected. They're they're protected in, in all dimensions, and so they needed each other to really experience, you know, that that victory in the warfare. Yeah, and that's how faith works for Christians, right? That faith is more effective in community. If you think that your faith is a is a solo sport that it's mm-hmm. just about you going off into the mountains, finding God in the mountains, I think you're going to find that you're going to lose the battle with spiritual warfare. Faith is more effective in community. That's why mm-hmm. in Hebrews chapter 12 it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, right? and, and this is Hebrews 12, so this comes right after Hebrews 11, the great chapter on the Faith Hall of Fame, and so what the author is talking about is all those people that he listed out, mm-hmm. out in, the, in the previous chapter, he's calling them a, a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. So he says, look, we're surrounded by all these people in history, and then in other places in the New Testament, it talks about also the contemporaneous, like the people today, yeah, today in the churches. Yeah, today that are standing beside us. And he says, because we're surrounded, like we're doing this together is basically what he's right. saying. Yep. So let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. That's the flesh, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And so this, this picture of doing this together, locking shields and doing this together. Yeah, it's, like you said, it, it's something that we, that we re- rely on the community to keep us going. It's... You know, it's kind of like if the, the the analogy I've I've seen before is like the um, you know the antelope or the or the oxen in Africa that that all stand 
you know, with their heads out and the lions are circling around them. As long as those, anim those animals stay together in their formation, they're, they're, they're not going to be prey. The lions are trying to single one out and get it alone so they can attack it. And that's true for, that's true for us as well. And really in the middle of that circle is, is probably the, are, are the youngest, the most yeah, vulnerable, the vulnerable ones. ones yeah. We talked last week about how the devil works, that he prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. He doesn't seek everyone to devour. He knows, he's not, he knows he can't get everyone, but he's going to get the right. vulnerable ones. Right. He's looking for the vulnerable ones. This is why I think the faith community is so important for our kids, for example. Mm -hmm. I think it's important, parents, for your kids to see you in a faith community leaning on others of faith. Yeah. And remember, faith, when we say faith, we're just talking about trusting in God more than we trust in the world or right. the ideas of the world or, right. or our, our own, own ideas. So it's, it's believing in what God's Word says, believing in God, but it's being in a community of people that share that, share that common faith, mm -hmm. a commitment to God's Word. Yeah. And I think when our kids see that, that, that gives, it begins to give them a vision for, hopefully, their lives as they grow older, that they're going to want to be in a community like that. Right, and it becomes credible to them as they see it lived out in the lives of others in, a, in, a, in another generation even, it becomes credible to them that it makes sense to trust in God and trust in God's ways and not the ways of the world. And to be honest, when, when I'm under attack, a lot of times that, that's when faith falters. Like, my confidence in God is, you know, can be undermined, and I'm going like, okay, God, where are you? What are you, are you going to really come through on this? But then people around me can remind me in their experiences, remind me what the Bible says um, to help me hang on to and to bolster that confidence in God. Yeah, Ross, in my own life, I, I can think of in the last 20 years, two times in particular that I absolutely depended on the community of faith, our church. And one was years ago when my kids were little, I had a, 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 a health scare, a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. The doctors thought I had cancer. Turns out I didn't, but they thought that I did. And I just remember all I wanted was to have my community of faith praying for me, supporting me, strengthening me. Mm -hmm. It was important. It was so important to me. And I thought at the time, what would it be like if I didn't have that? And I think there are a lot of people that just don't have that. Right. They just have their family, or maybe not even their family. They're just alone in the world. Yeah. And that's a scary place. That's a very vulnerable place to be. The other time was when I had some, when I started having panic attacks a few years back. And man, it was just so, I'm just so grateful for some of the, my, my smaller community of faith in that particular case, just some of the men in my life some of the other pastors and small group people in my life that were just able to pray for me and supported me. That, that's just, that meant so much to me to have that. Yeah. And now I can be that for some of the other men who are going through stuff like that. Yeah, we need each far. other. We need yeah. each other, yeah. All right. The fifth element, the fifth part of the armor of God, Paul calls the shield. Or sorry, that we already did the shield. The fifth element is the helmet. And, and the, he talks about the helmet, and if anybody... If anybody's confused about this, a helmet goes on a person's head, right? And so I <laughs> think yeah. that's usually where it goes. And I think the point that Paul's trying to make here is, is that the enemy is going to try to get in your head. Satan yeah. is going to try to get in your head, and the way he gets in your head is by accusing you. He, mm. he, he's going to try to get you to question your worthiness before God. He's going to get you to question whether you're a Christian, among many other things. And so the helmet gives us this assurance of salvation 
that protects us against the devil's accusations. And this becomes clear in 1 Thessalonians, another letter that Paul wrote in chapter 5, verse 8. Listen to this. It says, but it says, Paul talks about wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. So it's like he gives us just a little bit more information in 1 Thessalonians about what he's thinking Mm -hmm. about when he talks about the helmet of salvation. He's talking about having confidence that we really are saved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's why it's called the helmet of salvation. It's, you know, I'm saved as a Christian. I know I belong to God, but a lot of things can happen in life that maybe shake my confidence in that. And one of the biggest things I found is just accusation from the enemy. And, you know, Satan, he, that's, that's what he does. You know, he accuses, um, he's slanderer. The word, the word, um, Diablo, the word devil, diabolos, means a slanderer. And so he's slandering me to myself. He's slandering me to God. Um, but, but he's the, he's the source of all those, um, doubtful thoughts. They say, I can't do this. Oh, you're nobody. God doesn't really love you. How could God love you after what you did? Um, you know, you'll never be able to disciple somebody. You'll never be able to overcome that sin. And so the helmet of salvation, what protects my thoughts is to say, no, I belong to God. No, this is what Jesus has done. This is what God promises. I know where I stand with him. I know where my future lies, that one day you know, I'm going to experience the complete victory of, of Jesus over Satan and all of the world and all of the flesh. Yeah, and that the picture of that, by the way, for people who really need help in this area, check out Revelation 12.10. It says this, and this is a picture of what's going to happen at the end. It says, it has come at last salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. And then listen to what it says next. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, talking about Satan, mm-hmm. has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. So the picture here, two things about this. The picture is the ultimate victory that God has over the accuser, Satan. Mm-hmm. But the maybe the more interesting thing in here is the fact that this is what he does, yeah. is he stands there accusing us accusing us, and it says, day and night he accuses us. And I think the perfect picture of this in Scripture comes from the book of Job. Yeah. Right? We look in the book of Job, and Satan somehow is, is able to talk to God about Job, and he's basically accusing Job. He's saying, Job's only a Christian because he has riches and wealth and right. a great family and all these good things. If you take all that away, he's going to deny you. Yeah, and, and God said, okay, go for it. <laughs> Give him a chance to find out, right? He gives Satan yeah. the ability to do it, and the rest, you know, the next 30-plus chapters is not Satan accusing Job, but it's his, it's Job's it's friends. His friends accusing him. Accusing yeah, right. him. And so maybe some people listening are saying, I've never heard Satan accuse me. Well, it doesn't have to be Satan. Right. It, it could come through some other people who are getting you to question the gospel or question your salvation or 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 question your worthiness before God. Yeah. And and that comes from Satan for yeah. the most part, right? Yeah. I I have a friend, I just spent some time with him recently. He's been in ministry for years and he's had a great career getting near retirement age and some things have happened in the church that he's come under a lot of accusation from other people. And so he's wrestling. He's wrestling with you know maybe I maybe I maybe I should have quit a long time ago. Maybe you know, maybe he's got all of these doubts, and they've 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 really hit home in his heart. 
And so he's wrestling with this, and he's hanging on, but he's hanging on to saying, you know what, God called me here, God loves me, God loves me no matter what, unconditionally, I know that because of Christ, I know God has a good future for me. And so this is the warfare that's going on, you know, in his life. Yeah, and by the way, to be, to be clear, if, you, if you're living in sin, <laughs> then that's not an accusation, that's just the truth. That's just the truth. So yeah. we're not talking about the conviction that could come from the Holy Spirit if you right. really are living in sin. We're talking about the accusation, the slander that comes at you from the deceiver, from the liar, who's going to try to twist things and get you to doubt right. what God has already said about you. And you know how I know the difference, I think, is when it's from Satan, it's always negative and has no hopeful conclusion. When it's from the Holy Spirit, it's always impelling me to get to to follow God and to to grow and to you know get things right with Him. So Satan's accusation is always just designed just to defeat me and to crush me, and the Holy Spirit's conviction is always designed to reform me, correct me, and move me forward. Yeah, conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from the enemy. That's a good way to put it. In Romans eight Romans eight one starts by saying that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to remember mm-hmm. that. And then at the end of that mm-hmm. chapter, in verse thirty eight, it says, "I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell." Mm-hmm can separate us from God's love. That's a great verse for those of you who, who might feel like you need to put on the helmet of salvation. Mm-hmm. It's, to, it's to lean on God's truth and to trust God's truth more than you trust what the enemy is trying to throw at you. Yeah, that's great. All right, one more item. And this really, Ross, this is the only element in the armor of God that is purely offensive, and it's a sword. Mm-hmm. And in the this the visual here is you're all suited up you've got everything and then Paul says take the sword of the spirit so the idea is the armor bearer is handing you this final thing and it's the sword and it's the it's the holy spirit right it's the yeah. it's the word of god the holy spirit uses god's word but it's in our hands right it's in our hands to drive off the enemy right and so maybe maybe there's some point to this is that unless i've got these other uh, aspects of armor in place and going for me then I'm not really ready to go on the defensive, and I'll probably get you know cut down. But but when I have the, these other ar- armors on, then the point is, wait, I'm not just passively like fending off the enemy, but I can actually move forward and and take up maybe take ground um, in in the spiritual battle. Yeah, Hebrews four twelve says that the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And it says it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You know, so Ross, when we think about where we've been in this series, the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses isn't just to use against the devil or against the world. Sometimes, which I think is what it's Mm -hmm. saying here, sometimes the word of God is used in the arena of our flesh. Right, to expose absolutely. our innermost mm-hmm. thoughts and desires. That's and so, point. so God's word can be used in all these arenas against right. every enemy. Right. It's, it, that's right. It's a great point that it, it really works um, in, in every area. But how does it work? How do we wield it? So the question then is, again, we want to be practical. How do we wield the sword of the Spirit? How do we wield God's word in such a way that it actually makes a practical difference when we're battling against the flesh or against the the enemy, and so forth. Yeah, and I think our greatest example is Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. 
because we see this picture of Jesus right before he started his ministry. He's in the wilderness for 40 days. He's fasting, so I'm sure his flesh was tugging mm, at him. Oh and, my. And, mm. and the enemy, Satan, comes to him and tempts him three different times. What did Jesus do? Because I think that's kind of what maybe Paul even has that in mind yeah. here. What did Jesus do in that situation? Yeah, he quoted Scripture. He quoted from the Word of God. Each time he, he quoted a biblical verse or passage that was relevant, directly relevant to the temptation that Satan was presenting him with. And so I think, you know, that, I think that's a great, um, a great response. It's, in fact, when we were talking about in the last point about Romans 8 and how you know, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love, I was thinking, oh, that would be a great verse to memorize if you feel like, you know, um, if, you, if you feel like you're doubting the love of God for you, that why not call that to mind and be reinforced in that reality? So that's kind of how it might work. Yeah, you know, when I think of these six elements of the armor of God, you know, this is something that really came, came to me as I was studying this for, for this podcast, is that we're, we're not talking in this, in this chapter about godly armor. I actually think what Paul has in mind is that this armor is actually God's armor. Mm-hmm. It's God's salvation. It's God's faith. It's God's word. And mm-hmm. Isaiah 11 really makes this clear to us. Mm-hmm. Again, in the Old Testament, uh, probably Paul had this in mind. I'm sure yeah. the Holy Spirit brought this to mind for him. Isaiah 11, verses 4 through 5 says, The earth will shake at the force of his word. Mm-hmm. There's and one of the things we've been talking about. Yeah, right? one mm-hmm. breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. So the idea mm-hmm. of the of the sword of his mouth, mm-hmm. right? We see that in Revelation as yep. well. And it says he will wear righteousness like a belt mm-hmm. and truth like an undergarment. So mm-hmm. you get this idea that the the inspiration for this entire vision from Ephesians six probably comes from Isaiah eleven and fifty nine, mm-hmm. and this idea yep. that that Paul had in mind that the battle is actually not ours. What a great way to end this whole spiritual warfare series. The battle is not ours. We're putting on God's armor. We're not putting on just the armor of God. We're putting on God's God's armor. armor. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great point. The battle belongs to him. And we're walking in it. We're experiencing it every day. You know, we feel like we're the target of it. But ultimately, we're walking in that battle based on who God is, who he is in our life, who he is in our connection with him. And so I think that's fitting that at the end of Romans chapter 13, uh, Paul told the believers to clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's that metaphor saying, look, I'm not just putting on abstract ideas. I'm putting on Jesus. I'm putting on God's own armor, his righteousness, his truth, um, his word, and all the rest. So if you want to talk about... Any, any of these lessons in this series, you know, throughout this five-week series, we've talked about some principles of warfare. We've talked about battling with the world and battling with the flesh and battling with the devil and demons. And we talked today about spiritual armor. Remember, all of this, you can find all of this in short videos for your small group, articles, discussion questions, so that you can talk about this with your family, with a group, or with a mentor. You can find all of this at PursueGod.org forward slash warfare. And then don't forget to join us next week as we start a brand new five-week series. And Ross, we're going to go back into the Old Testament, and we're going to talk next week about 
Jonah. And so you won't want to miss it. Make sure to join us next time on Friday on the Pursue God podcast and share with a friend. Encourage someone else to get into God's word and to pursue God along with you.